Ladies and gentlemen, today we will be reviewing the Batman. There's no new news, so this will be a full-on review episode of Matt Reeves' The Batman in theaters as you are listening to this podcast. Thank you all for joining along. Let's get serious. Welcome in the direct podcast. We'll call it episode 79, but this is more like a bonus episode because today we will be reviewing the Batman for the last time. I am Vengeance, Matt Rimke, joined by my co-host, content machine, Liam Crowley. Liam, I got a couple questions for you. One, Liam, do you like Batman? I love Batman. Do you like Ave Maria? Ah, uh, I'm wishy-washy. Well, you know, then this may this movie might not be for you because I don't know what's in this movie more, Batman or Ave Maria. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have arrived the Batman review right here on the direct podcast. We're here to break down the entire three hour Matt Reeves epic starring Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz and others. Um, we're going to do this one like every other uh, review, just a little bit differently to kind of fit the movie. We're going to go act by act a lot like we did with Spider-Man No Way Home. But within each act, we're going to cover a character aspect, a story aspect and a production aspect of the movie Hopefully that flows along. And then, of course, at the end, we'll be looking forward into the future of this brand new Batman universe. But Liam, we got to start where we always start at the beginning. Your overall thoughts. Oh, your overall thoughts on the Batman. Can't believe well, I just said that. <laughs> <laughs> I've kind of simmered in, in the days since, but immediately leaving the theater, I'll do my best to replicate my emotions because oh my god I was just overcome with adrenaline and energy and it is so rare to evoke that out of uh, a movie experience for me the last time I can remember it was probably Shang-Chi because I was just so unexpectedly in love with that movie and Spider-Man No Way Home I've, I've very much made my thoughts clear I really really enjoy it um, but I did think the hype didn't exactly I thought it might, might have hampered it a little bit. Batman, I went in with very moderate expectations, hoping to just enjoy a good Batman movie. And what I got instead was, I think I'm ready to call it a masterpiece. Jesus Christ, man. Three hours of ambition and storytelling and character development in a universe that feels real, authentic, and lived in, yet also so futuristic and from the Victorian era. And just, it's a graphic novel come to life and it is i would argue probably like my favorite depiction of gotham that we've seen so far because of how comic booky yet real it feels and it's laid the groundwork for as we've been saying on this podcast for weeks and months honestly a cinematic universe centered around batman but it laid that groundwork in a way that still allowed this story to stand on its own it was a good strong detective story the best detective batman story we've seen in live action ever i think that's very easy to say because the dark knight trilogy doesn't really dive into the detective side of bruce wayne and the flaws are so nitpicky and that's incredible like this movie should not work this movie was birthed out of the scraps of ben affleck leaving the character and matt reeves make 
make do, make do and figure it out and cast a new Batman. And the final two were Robert Pattinson and Nicholas Holtz, Beast from X-Men. Like our options were Edward or Beast from X-Men. And somehow we got one of the best live action Batman we've ever seen out of it. And one of the best live action Batman antagonists we've ever got with Paul Dano's Riddler and some of the best supporting players, Jeffrey Wright's Commissioner Gordon, Zoe Kravitz's Catwoman, freaking Colin Farrell as the Penguin who somehow stole scenes when I thought he was literally only going to be there to set up his spinoff show. And he was integral to the story. I'm rambling here, but I also feel like I'm somewhat cohesive. That's because this movie lingers, Matt. This movie lingers. It's been on my brain since we both saw it Tuesday. And that's just a testament to a good film. And I cannot wait for the sequel. Uh, One last thing I'll say is we live in such a prosperous era of comic book movie content, of entertainment content in general, that no matter what happens, I remember back in the day being so sad. Oh, Avengers just came out. We got to wait so long till the next one. But nowadays it's like, oh, Batman just came out, you know, Moon Knight's in a couple weeks. Doctor Strange is coming out. All I can think about right now is the Batman 2. And that's just, like I said, a testament to what Matt Reeves was able to accomplish with this movie. Give him everything and more. Give him more money. Give him even more creative freedom, if that's even possible. And let him eat because my my passion, not that it was ever gone, but it's been reinvigorated and I didn't need it to be. And that's awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. And, and so great to hear, um, you know, so much reception like that out of this kind of movie. You said you enjoyed the movie. I have a hard time enjoying this movie. It's more of an experience, right? Like, mm. like there's, there's just so much emotional weight throughout the movie that I really just classify it as an experience. What a ride this movie is. Um, you know, you said it just now, the graphic novel come to life. It's, it's the most, um, you know, like you, you see that all over the place with reviews for this movie. And I've been trying to come up with something, you know, clever or some sort of analogy or comparison to kind of pivot from those exact words, but I can't because that's the best way to put it. It's a graphic novel brought to life. It reads like a graphic novel. It feels like a graphic novel and it works. And I think that that's a really awesome thing that they did with the graphic novel character, like a Batman graphic novel hits different than a Spider-Man graphic novel um, because that's just who the character is. Um, this movie's long. There's no doubting that it's long, but it never feels too long. It, I, I, the sports comparison I had, I came up with is the mid 2000 Spurs. Um, it takes its time. It lulls you in and out of nowhere, they're up 20 with five minutes left. You know what I mean? It's, it's just, it's a cerebral, meticulous, patient, slow burn that just hits on all the fundamentals and just surprises you with the lead that they have at the end of the game. And that's a really awesome thing. Um, I'm convinced, convinced that there was somebody in the writing room that had the idea to capture what we all love about the Netflix murder mystery documentaries. You know, they've been going on for, I think like the last four or five years, the murder mystery documentary on Netflix has really taken over the game. Every time a new one comes out, we all talk about it. Um, explaining every little detail, getting to know every single character, situation, and story on a personal level. And just when you put two pieces together, they add two more pieces into your pile and take one away. You know what I mean? They really just keep you going on this ride of this mystery throughout the movie. You get all that slow burn storytelling execution and then add in the cinematography, the action, and the style that Matt Reeves brought to this movie. And it's unlike any other comic book movie I've seen in the last decade. 
most of the time it's for the better. A few times I think it's for the worse, but the vision of this Batman and this Gotham and these characters is something that I am completely wholeheartedly invested in. And I think that is such an awesome thing that they were able to do with such a rehashed character. And, you know, they made it feel fresh. They made it feel new. They made it feel a new level of emotion for this character. That is, you know, we said it was no way home. It's hard to do because, you know, you can't get Nolan and uh, uh, Christian Bale and uh, Michael Keaton out of your head. You just can't do it. And, you know, the filmmakers know that. So when they execute like this, it's a great feat. And I cannot wait to talk about this movie. And that's another thing, Liam. We're going to talk about this one for a while because there's a lot to unpack. I cannot wait to see it a second time. Um, As we go through this, help us, me and you, let's get a list put together of things I need to watch out for when I go see it tonight. You know what I mean? I'm going to see it opening night with Aaron. I'm very excited. We're doing a whole date night thing. My Catwoman shirt from Hot Topic is not here yet, and I'm pissed mm-hmm. about it. But um, yeah, let's keep an, let's keep a running list of things I need to keep an eye out for. Questions we might have because three hour movie, you're gonna for you know you're gonna miss a few little details here and there. It's definitely a two watcher. But uh, yeah, let's do it, man. Let's dive right in. Act one. We're gonna start at the beginning. The Batman introduction. Let's talk about this character overall, what we think about him throughout the entire movie, because he is the opening of the movie. We get introduced to the Batman. The introduction to this character was awesome because it didn't do, there's, there's going to be a lot of comparisons we make on this episode because like, what are, what else can we do? You know, like we live in such a golden fruitful age. There will be comparisons made to what Marvel does with their characters and what was attempted with the Snyderverse. What I appreciated about this character introduction is similar to batman's introduction in the snyderverse it's it hits the ground running he's established Mm -hmm. he's been doing this for a little bit while you know he's in year two versus batman and and snyder being like year 20 but it's so subtle and it feels authentic and he doesn't feel like a rookie when we meet him and Mm -hmm. i don't know how you accomplish that like I, i genuinely don't know it has to be it just comes naturally. And I, it's, it's a mix of direction plus portrayal. So it's the perfect amalgamation between Robert Pattinson and Matt Reeves, but there's no, there's no element that feels like in your face, like, Oh, well, you know, I fought uh, the penguin last week, or I fought like uh clay man or what's, what's the clay guy. Is, is it clay man? Uh, yeah. I'm not Bar- sure. Clay Matthews outside linebacker, green Bay Packers. Clay Matthews, notorious Batman villain, as we all know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I just, there was something about it that just felt so raw. And I felt like, man, I wish I knew more about this character because I feel like I missed something, but not in a bad mm-hmm. way. Like, I want to yeah. learn more. Everyone is raving on TikTok right now about the tie-in prequel novel. Yes. yes. That's a must read for me. I've been like looking for an excuse to read a book this year. I've been reading some graphic novels, but you know, I want some some text on page. And if this uh, is anything to go out for, I, I think before my next watch, I'll read the tie-in novel beforehand to kind of get that sense. But yeah, the the visceral nature of of Batman, the action was awesome. Uh, probably my favorite part was him emerging from the shadows. He does it so many times in this movie, but it's not, you know, it's not like scary or spooky. It's slow. It's methodical. He very much establishes in the way he walks that he is the most knowledgeable person in the room. And that's awesome. That is awesome. So uh, we hit the ground running and I'm a very, very big fan of how this movie started. Yeah. Um, 
you know, shout out to the uh, opening monologue that I think really just set the tone for who this guy is, what he does, and why he does it. I think that was a really great awesome. idea that you pitched to Matt Reeves, by the way, of course. Absolutely. 100 yeah. percent You know, you you said the word noir every single time we talked about this movie for two years it just got in my head you know out of all the gin joints in all the world this guy decided to walk into mine like i wanted that and went yeah. so i will say uh i i told my buddy that i went with like three days ago like hey i i my biggest prediction is that there's going to be an inner monologue to open the movie and when it happened he grabbed my leg he goes no fucking way <laughs> it was a really validating moment it was cool um there's so many things i love about batman in this movie a lot of it is covered in these opening scenes um the amazing picture for who this guy is is really just so concise and specific and i think it really lends well to the character um in a movie that involves so much mystery there is no mystery on who batman is and what he's doing like he crushes it um just because that's that's just so organic feeling when robert pattinson is such a natural fit for this calm but angry experience as batman he was so one note the entire movie that when he does pop with emotion or he does start beating the hell out of somebody, it hits that much harder. And the assignment was understood by Robert Pattinson in that moment. Like, Hey, keep it flat, keep it flat, keep it flat. And then bang, hit us with 110%, you know, when it's time to do so. And I like how they did that. One last thing I really love is just how they shot this movie throughout the whole thing. You learn so much about Batman by how other people in the city react to him and his presence. You know what I mean? The cops, the politicians, the adversaries, the contemporaries, they all added their own ingredient into the Batman cocktail that the audience was supposed to drink. I think that was such a cool artistic choice by Reeves to show who Batman is by showing how people respond to him being in the room. And I think it's a really cool thing that they did here. And on that note, the best use of the bat signal ever like I yeah. very much established too it's not just them calling for my help it's also a warning to anyone on the streets doing bad shit you look up and you see that anytime that light was shining I was terrified because like it's, it's about to go down before it felt kind of like a Batman prop like the bat signal it's just another thing for him to insert his name onto and it's like oh it's part of the character sure this movie the bat signal kind of felt like its own character in a way and mm-hmm. I love that. I love that because it's it's set. It's a, such a nice visual cue of like, uh oh, it's about to get real. And yeah, magnificent. Yeah, it was magnificent. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, it was used really well. And you know, I'm I'm gonna keep going back to that opening monologue because the real thing is like we don't get a lot more of like who Batman is and why he does throughout the rest of the movie as other than like just how he responds to certain situations, but they open it so well in that first 20 minutes that I feel like it's, it's like a prologue of a novel or a comic book or something like that, where like, here's who this is. I'm the best at what I do. And what I do is hurting people, that kind of thing. Like you read that in Wolverine comic, you immediately just get rehype about the character. And I think that they did a lot here to do that. Um, Moving on with act one, we kind of get right into it with the Riddler storyline. If I'm not mistaken, he's the opening scene. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I, you know, I think we just cover the Riddler here, um, you know, overall throughout the movie, like, you know, save the twist and turn for the end here. But Liam, the character of the Riddler here, how do we feel about your boy, Paul Dano? Did it live up to your expectations or um, was it something you were unexpected or was it exactly what you were expecting? 
I'm, I'm really interested to see what you think here. It's, it's weird because I wouldn't say it didn't live up to my expectations, but it exceeded expectations that I didn't know I had, if that sure. makes any sense. The Riddler in this movie, Paul Dano is so fantastic in this role. Like he's so good that he, his positives overshine the negatives. Like there are some negatives with this Riddler character. Like we'll get into it as, as we go through the acts, but like not having the mystery unfold, having the mystery like told to us at certain points of him kind of guiding Gotham. And when the time is right, he will reveal. And I'm like, well, the Riddler, I know he never reveal. Like you know, a magician never reveals his secrets. Like you have to figure it out on your own. Um, I appreciated all the different riddles. Um, I wish some of them, like we talk about the a rat with wings and the genius, me and my friend who, who saw this together on Tuesday, we talked about the genius of how many different options there were for that riddle that made sense. Uh, a falcon, falcone, you could argue a rat with wings could be a bat. You could argue a rat with wings could be a penguin. Like there were so many options that made sense. And the fact that they addressed all of those options like kind of took me out of it a little bit as an audience member. Cause I was like, I wish I was thinking that on my own rather than you saying, oh, well, it could be this, but it's likely not that for reasons X, Y, and Z. That being said though, every time the Riddler was on screen, he was a presence. He was a must watch character. We go to the movies and we're paying attention. Uh, no one's on their phones or shouldn't be on their phones. Uh, a couple people in my theater uh, on their phones for like extended periods of time. We're talking five, 10 minutes. And because it's like an angled, you know, and I'm sitting up back, that light is very distracting. So I was just like, dude, you know, early screening, what are we doing? Like, I know it's a long movie. They're listening, Liam. Let them know. Let yeah, them know. Well, you know, don't use your phone at the theater, guys. Like theater etiquette. It's still a thing. It's still a thing in 2022. Anyways, I digress. Uh, because anytime the Riddler was on screen, I guess, here's a positive to that uh, slightly very asterisk negative uh, part of the theater experience. Anytime Riddler was on screen, I saw those phone lights turn off immediately. Sure. Because he's one of those characters that it's like, I need, I need to listen. I need to listen. And his voice was terrifying. Uh, his presence was super intimidating. I liked that he distinguished himself from the Joker too. At times I was like, the laugh, uh, him getting a little crazy. I was like, all right, let's make sure we don't cross that line too much. But I thought the idea of eventually when he has the conversations and whatnot, the 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 dynamic between who Edward Nashton is as the person versus the Riddler as the alias and how that was just him kind of embracing everything. Because just like when he talks to Batman, he's like, I know that the real you is under is wearing that cowl your alias is underneath your mask. Same mm -hmm. thing with me. Like we're, we're similar, you and I. Um, I love that. Um, and I was very, very satisfied with everything we got from the Riddler, aside from, you know, wishing we could have unraveled the mystery ourselves. But I will get into, I have a, a huge, huge positive on that note, but we'll get to it down the line. Here we go. I love that. Little TZTs right there. Um, uh, Paul Dano here pitch perfect lunacy from this guy you know the the out the outburst of crazy that comes with uh this kind of character and you know i talk about the um the murder mystery vibes that this movie has i feel like the riddler is the star of the show you know what i mean like you fall in love is a weird word murder murder porn sucks whatever <laughs> but like you know like you know you you become enraptured with the ted bundy you come enraptured with you know the the tindler swindler you know what i mean like like he he played a great main focus of the mystery. 
Um, and I think that, you know, he just, there's such a fine line when you're playing this type of mental Ill, mental illness murderer guy where you can try too hard very easily and you cannot try hard enough just as easy. You got to find that sweet spot. And he was able to hit that note consistently throughout the movie. And I really appreciated that. It's not Paul Dano's fault that this character was so similar to Heath Ledger's Joker, just in the sense of, you know, I'm a crazy person, but I have a plan. You know what I mean? Like that, that, like that, that broad similarity that those two have. Um, but what he did was he embraced that and he didn't try to go toe to toe with Heath Ledger's Joker. He didn't try to pay tribute to Heath Ledger's Joker. He honestly, he didn't try to be too different. He focused on making sure that that type of character fits in this world. And I think he crushed that. You know what I mean? Like, because the universe is so well established around him, it feels different enough. And I really like that a lot. I, I am so happy to hear what you said about the riddles because that was a complaint I had as well. Um, we know I, I was so excited for the riddles themselves going into this movie. And I have a bittersweet relationship with it because I do love how they were used to keep the plot going one at a time. I thought they were paced apart really well. I thought that the answer to a riddle always led to an interesting scene, which is something really exciting for that kind of movie. Seven is what I was thinking of the entire time. Um, I was so excited with the first riddle. You know, what does a liar do when he's dead? He lies still. That was so cool. And I was so excited because I'm like, oh man, that's the first one. Unfortunately, looking back, that may have been my favorite riddle, which is a bummer because I don't think that, you know, I think that you need to get better as it goes along, but it never took me out of the moment watching the movie. I didn't think about that until the end of the movie. You know what I mean? So shout out to, you know, Matt Reeves and the, you know, this, the direction side of things, keeping that pacing going where I don't have to think about it too much. I guess what I wanted was a couple of small riddles or one really big riddle that completely caught me off guard. And I had to like mentally go back and like, piece it together myself like you were saying like I wish I wish that the audience got to piece together the riddles a little bit more as opposed to Jim Gordon just saying what Batman's thinking kind of thing mm-hmm. um I instead we got El Rada a lot and I did not like how they executed El Rada a lot the Spanish joke I thought was it really took the air out of the Batman tires a little bit you know world's greatest detective made fun of it a little bit I get it. Year two, we're starting out. He's going to get better. Um, it's just simply guessing what it could mean and applying it to every single character. I don't mind that that riddle and that plot point was in the movie. I'm just a little let down that that was the crux of the movie. You know what I mean? That was the main riddle. And I, it was one of my least favorite riddles. So that's kind of a bummer. But again, in the moment, it never really took me out of it. The Spanish joke was the only thing that really took me out of it like Really, like, like, we're, like pronouns are going to ruin this for Batman right now. It's it's insane. But um, I do want to ask you one more time before we get off the riddle here: the stakes behind these riddles, the way that these guys got murdered. Whoa, dude! And I mean, whoa, man! We start off with the crazy hammer on the head murder, which is always cool to see to start a movie off, right? The way he shrieks too. Yes, Jesus yes. Christ! It's a deep scream you know what i mean it's not high pitched at all it's almost hollow and it's a really cool way to do that character because the mask the mask Mm -hmm. really helps um the the rat face thing horrifying just absolutely horrifying and then the neck bomb like what a what a traditional 
uh, like terrorist use there. That scene was so well done. It was executed so great. Shout out Skarsgård, crushed that performance. Um, I didn't know Peter Skarsgård was in this movie, <laughs> um, but he absolutely crushed it. Uh, shout out Dopesick, he's incredible in that. Um, so yeah, I, I want to hear your thoughts on just the execution of the the repercussions of the riddles themselves. Yeah, this movie has stakes. Uh, you know, when it comes to me, the two biggest things a movie has to meet for me to enjoy it is emotion and stakes. And stakes is so, so crucial, especially in this age of comic book movies where you wonder how many times can the world be at stake? And when you piece together, like we, we as, as like people in this space, Infinity War hits, but it hits a little less knowing that Black Panther 2 is in development. And we hits a little less knowing that Spider-Man Far From Home comes out in 14 months. Fair enough. The Batman, like, they have ideas to do a sequel, but there's no crazy, like, stuff down the pipeline. So everything, you know, felt a little more on edge. Um, but also within the movie itself. It's not just the circumstances externally. It's also what was set up by the Riddler because this guy is... I don't want to say he's like an anarchist because that's that's the Joker from from 08's Dark Knight. But he just, he means business. He's married to his mission. And like when Gil Coulson has the neck bomb and me and my friend are like, all right, well, I mean, he's answering the riddler, riddles. He's going to get out of it, right? And then when he refuses to give up information and he knows that information and Riddler knows he knows that information and you would think, okay, maybe he'll keep him alive in hopes that he'll rat eventually. Nope, three, two, one explosion head popped off like jesus christ this dude means business and then as the movie progresses he just never wavers it never feels like he's he's hesitant with his trigger like he's always ready to just you know blindly shoot like let's do it like i'm not playing around like it's 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 yes or no questions no ifs buts he's only dealing with absolutes and like that is ah as a villain like that's what you want you want like the best villains everyone always says is the ones who see themselves as the heroes of their own story. But I would argue also some of the other best villains are the ones who just mean business, the ones who are married to being a bad guy. And like he does see himself as kind of like a crusader in, in a certain sense, him being, you know, the righteous guy for all the other orphans like him. But at the same time, like he knows what, what he's doing is evil and he's not hesitating anymore. He's completely married to that. And like, that just makes for a good character, makes for a good antagonist, and just makes for a good story overall. Because as we know, villains are the driving force of these stories. Yeah, no, and I, and I think that uh, they really, they really did a good job making him the uh, the white to black uh, Batman's black or whatever it is, the yin to the yang. You know, it was a really good thing to see those two kind of parallel go through the story like that, and all those ways that you just mentioned um, from a production side here in Act One, Act One, Gotham, man. Oh, Gotham. Uh, uh, I'll, st- I'll start. Gotham was the star of the show for me um, uh, in this movie. We're thrown into this early 90s New York with crime everywhere and corrupt politicians going to fix it. Not everybody's really happy about how they're doing it. And for whatever reason, it just makes sense that Batman's here. You know, yeah. like, like it makes sense that Batman would be um, needed in this world. And I think that, um, you know, they just did such a good job baking this in. It's, it's, um, it, it didn't just feel lived in Liam. It felt like it was lived in, destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed again, and is in need of another rebuild. You know what I mean? Like it's like a twice baked potato or a steak that you sear and then you put in the oven. You know what I mean? Like it's, it really was just so 
layered this this gotham universe that they've built and i want to shout out the use of organic lighting um by matt reeves throughout this movie the police lights the bat signal like you said always having that yellow tint kind of brushing off someone's head and just you know the way that they really use natural lights in the set to let these really long scenes that they hold on forever like you know that's the reason this movie is three hours long is because there's not one scene they're afraid to hold on for an uncomfortable amount of time it just adds to the intensity those work even better because the environment around it is so established and so interesting and i want to pick apart every little detail of every little scene that they have here and it's just such a great way to do it shout out to the volume tech that they use too because it it shined here for me and i want every movie to use it moving forward i i, oh, I he hated no. it no no i liked it <laughs> i liked it but i don't know if this is me you know going in understanding which scenes used it but it was very apparent to me that it was that right? not not cgi but it's the screen and when catwoman and batman are talking on that roof i was like oh, volume but i yeah, also i, I sure. knew that going in i knew that that yeah. specific scene because i saw the behind the scenes shot um so yeah it, it's great it's great tech like i would rather it be apparent volume than apparent green screen if that yeah. makes sense yeah, Lamentus versus Gotham. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah, think it yeah. really shouts out in that way because it's kind of the same depth of field. There's a lot of Loki, Sylvie talking with that big landscape behind them, a lot like Selena and Bruce here. Uh, what do we think of just the aesthetic of Gotham throughout this movie? I loved it. I love the blend of, like I said, Victorian era 1800s with like a futuristic vibe too. Look, it's part Times Square, but it's also part like, the queen's mansion in england like across the whole city and i love that because it goes to emphasize that there is an appeal to gotham but also there are cons to gotham and i understand why people would want to live there i understand why people don't want to live there and i understand why it's like a crime hub too like madripoor can't be the exact same thing as gotham but in the one scene we got in madripoor uh, one episode we got in Madripoor of Falcon Winter Soldier. It's a place I've wanted to explore more because of how like it's like futuristic in a way, but it's also just run by like these crime syndicates. And Gotham feels the same way in a unique way. But for that reason, there's just such an appeal to like go back to that location. Like Gotham yeah. and Madripoor both have that like, uh, I want to go back. Like I want to uh -huh. see this location again. I want to explore it more. Like, like you said, riddled with Easter eggs in uh in not just a fan service way you know like where where will that lead one day like one day that building that we saw maybe that's the 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 stage for the final battle in a, the batman 4 you know but for now it's just another building to us yeah yeah i can't imagine we're not going to be revisiting locations in the next movie because man we revisit locations in this one i mean whoa um qu quick question and aside really were you a suburb kid or a city kid growing up suburb kid suburb so i was i i come from a farm town that's 15 minutes away from indianapolis so like i was a farm town kid that i can go in downtown to the city whenever i wanted you know what i mean 15 minutes from boston for me perfect perfect um we used to just go in and walk around downtown we go get something to eat and just mess around see what buildings had the roof doors unlocked you know what i mean that's just how we hung out a lot of like between the ages of 14 to 16 just getting in trouble downtown right there's mm -hmm. something so awesomely aesthetic about an alley 
with like rain and just the lighting and all that stuff. And there's something like creepy and dangerous about it. I mean, it's Indianapolis, Indiana. It's not like that dangerous of a city, but like there's some intensity behind that. And they captured that kind of aesthetic to me really well in this movie, as opposed to maybe some of the sheen in the Nolan uh, Gotham, you know, it was a very pristine Gotham that, you know, had more of an underbelly as, a, you know, like in Batman Begins, they very specifically had the Narrows and then the rest of Gotham. Like the mm-hmm. Narrows is where it's bad. Gotham's where it's good. This was such a blend of that. And I love how they layered it on top of each other over and over, not just with crime, not just with Batman, not just with the people who live there, the politicians contributed to that. And I really love that angle here. Um, moving into act two, Liam, how are we feeling about the Batman review so far? <laughs> I, I love this movie. I, I love walking so through it because I feel, <laughs> you know, the best movies, I, I say the best movies, the best villains, blah, blah, blah. But another uh, uh, indicator of like when a movie's great is when you feel like a civilian um, within the world, like you're there in the theater, mm-hmm. but you feel like you're immersed in it. And like talking through it, I'm like, oh yeah, this reminds me of my trip to Gotham. It's not real. I've never been there. It's a movie, Liam. Like, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been there. I feel like I vacationed there when I was a kid. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, that's a yeah, crappy that's vacation. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of crappy vacations, somebody who grew up in a very crappy situation in Gotham City, Selena, Kyle, Catwoman, Liam. This was a, a character I was super excited about going in. I can't wait to hear your thoughts on Selena Kyle's Catwoman throughout this movie. Just magnetic, charismatic, like a presence. There's so many characters in this movie that I say are like <laughs> must watch. All these words. <laughs> like essentially like Riddler and Catwoman uh, have the same positives for de- very different reasons. But I loved how she was like a two to Batman's one, but never felt like a supporting player. She felt mm. like on his level, which was really nice. And I love how meticulous she she is. Like, same as Batman, everything he does has a motivation. But I will say a positive on Selena Kyle that Pattinson's Bruce Wayne didn't have is she knows how to jump back and forth between Selena Kyle, uh, like the escort. Is that fair to say? Like, you know, bartender, but like, you know, Club she's, worker. she's smoozing, schmoozing with the politicians. She knows how to you know, she's asking Coulson questions. Uh, Gil Coulson. I don't, every, anytime I say Coulson, like Clark Gregg is not in this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Anytime she's asking the district attorney questions, like she'll go and she'll like, she'll like grab his leg and be like, all right, oh, there's a little seduction going on there because she's trying to get information out of him. While Bruce Wayne, when he knocks on a door, I'm like, that's Batman without the cowl. (laughs) Like there's no difference here. Like, like you don't look like someone that people would want to give information to. While Selena Kyle, on the other hand, she uses like, her alter ego to her advantage her conversation with falcone when she's crying and everything and you know there's the ulterior motive to eventually shoot him in the face it's like this is great because you know how to balance the difference between the person and the character uh the person and the alias excuse me and like for that reason like she's probably my favorite live action Catwoman. uh i don't think anne hathaway uh really got a ton to like shine with also the fact of her being the in, the in the third movie, like Selena Kyle being there from the ground up allows her to grow even more. Um, but even just comparing the Batman to the Dark Knight Rises, I was much more enamored with uh, Zoe Kravitz's portrayal. And Michelle Pfeiffer too is great, uh, but a little more comic booky. This This one felt like graphic novel-y, but also realistic. And that's just dope. Yeah. 
hyper dope. Uh, huge Black Widow vibes here. Uh, very Natasha Romanoff yeah. vibe. You know what I mean? Like jumping back and forth, knowing knowing that you know there, there are terrible men out there in the world who want to take advantage of you. So use that to your advantage to take advantage of them. I love that from her. Um, she is one of the most captivating humans on the planet. You know what I mean? I don't think she was as charismatic as I wanted her to be. And I don't think she got as enough, as much personal screen time as I wanted her to get. But, and, and also I have no idea where she's going next after this, but she's a threat. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, she is a presence on screen. You know what I mean? Her eyes cut through the screen in the theater. Her, this is going to sound weird and horny, whatever her lips are like <laughs> cartoon lips. I'm serious. Like, like yeah. watching her talk was just mesmerizing, you know, like she was such a force every time she just the way she walks, you know what I mean? Like she had so much swagger, uh, just on effortlessly so much swagger in this character. I thought it was awesome. I loved it when she had a wig on. I love it when she didn't have a wig on. I love it when she was Selena Kyle. I love it when she was Catwoman. I think that she was in my opinion, the most consistent awesomeness throughout this movie. And I think that she played a great two to Batman's one, like you said. It was definitely a, you know, we're on the same level for different reasons kind of situation. And, you know, it even gets to that point in the movie where where she calls Batman for help. You know, I thought that was such a cool little turn there where, like, I I never expected that to happen because Bruce was down bad. Like, Bruce was down bad uh, for a while. And, you know, he gets a call from Selena. I never expected that. You just, like, a couple things you said just set off, like, a light bulb of, like, parallels to me. And you mentioned the the Black Widow vibes. Like, like Bruce Wayne and Steve Rogers are very different characters. But, like, I'm realizing <laughs> now why I love this dynamic so much. It's like, I fucking love Captain America the Winter Soldier. And that line, you, you talked about how uh, she calls him for help. It reminds me of we're in Sam's apartment. And, hey, if it was down to, down to it, and it was me on the line to save your life. Would you trust me to do it? And then Cap goes like, I would now. Oh, and like, now. that's like, but roles reversed. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, right. Goosebumps. Yeah. Cause it's like when Very she good. now trusts Batman, when she's like a cat burglar this whole time, it's like, now we've understood, we've got somewhere like friendships within this world of Gotham's vigilantes are tense because you don't know who you can trust mm-hmm. and the fact that she feels like she has a friend when she has literally no one else because uh what's her name the the girl the Russian girl Alina Alana Alana like uh uh the Russian the guy, guy. <laughs> the guy from the red room um either way yeah. <laughs> like like it's awesome that there's like a trusting bond there and that's ah that's that's so cool that's chemistry you can't teach um and it has it has to be scripted obviously but it also has to come across as genuine and it it felt earned like there was resolution in that phone call in that cry for help and i love that yeah where where do robert pattinson zoe kravis frank and the hot people on screen together scale you know what i mean i i have to assume pretty high it's it's tough it's tough you see that entertainment weekly cover they did yes i did the moving one oh yeah god get it out of here man this is oh so good zoe kravis was electric my biggest complaint about this character is that there wasn't enough of her and i think that that's the best complaint you can have you know what i mean like that's a pretty good bar to hit as a character i'm, I'm excited to see more i have no idea where it's gonna go you know what i mean it felt very resolute um at the end of that right there um the longest motorcycle scene of all time um but they ended <laughs> up going separate ways so i thought that was really interesting um liam i want to ask you about the 
essentially the underlying crime storyline of Gotham. How do we feel about how they how they introduced us piece by piece to the the crime families of Gotham? You said syndicate earlier. I'll never hear that word again uh, the same way, by the way. Like Boba Fett has ruined the word syndicate. Uh. For me. Like, <laughs> like I, I immediately went to Star Wars when you said syndicate. And I couldn't be farther away from Star Wars in my head right now. You brought me there immediately. <laughs> yeah, uh, they all work for the Millennium Falcone, after all. Um, Iceberg yeah, Lounge. <laughs> uh, the Iceberg Lounge rules because of the people within it and how they behave. Um, I say that in the sense of these politicians are corrupt, but they're not like, and and uh, these policemen are corrupt, but like they're not full on. Like it's, it's not night and day. It's not, oh, by day I'm a cop and I'm doing good. And then by night I'm like, you know, getting drunk, like sleeping with hookers and all that. Like, like when they're at the bar, especially uh, DA Colson, and when he's talking, he doesn't talk like, oh, like what's up toots. Like it's, it's DA yeah. Colson, like kicking back. Like, no, he's just, he's just having like a good time. He is having some drinks. He's not smashed. He's just kind of sitting down. He, he walks to shit though. <laughs> is he doing the drops? Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, you're because yeah. he offered Sorry. it to her and she was exactly. like, no. Um, but then like he goes after her outside, but he doesn't like force himself onto her. Like you can tell that yeah. these people still have a moral compass deep down, but it's just been chiseled away at for so long. There's no immediate dark side uh turn, the force is strong with you. There's none of that. It's it's slow, it's gradual, and you can tell that they're not actually villains per se but they have embraced the hand that they were dealt and they don't necessarily want to play with those cards, but they're also not going to push back. They want to win the game at the end of the day. And this is how they're going to do it. And I, I like that because I don't, it, this is where comic book movies get very comic booky is when villains are just villains, you know, Oh, uh, I'm a bad guy. Like, you know, let's, let's help out Falcone. No, they're just taking advantage of their circumstances and mm -hmm. even taking advantage of their circumstances, barely doing so, you know, getting a couple few drinks, uh, getting, you know, uh, uh, free access to this, this lounge. That's like probably invite only mm -hmm. not nothing crazy, um, which makes them feel more authentic. Yeah. Baseline corrupt you know what i mean there's levels to this shit you know it's all about the game and how you play it it's all about control and if you can take it you know what i mean that was a present yes. for leading today <laughs> you said cerebral um, earlier too so many triple I, 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 I haven't said the word assassin yet let's see if we get there um, uh there was an intensity to this movie i didn't expect with the whole crime thing obviously the riddles were burst of tension as they came through. You know what I mean? Everyone had a little bit of intensity. The mystery of why the Riddler's doing his thing. That was an underlying mystery throughout the movie. Um, intensity throughout the movie, rather. But seeing how deep the corruption goes one person at a time, when Selena's got the eye thing in, which, again, I love how they just introduced it. We don't have to ask too many questions. They got an eye camera. You know, it happens. It's a spy yeah. movie in a lot of ways. Shout out um, uh, real quick. Mission Impossible. I believe it's Ghost Protocol. There is an right. eye lens where it it it's like that, too. But when you blink, it takes a picture. And so Simon Pegg is, like, reading these these files. And he's, like, blinking in, like, very noticeable patterns. And the bad guys like notice they're like, oh, he's got something in his eye. Like, I, I love how everyone like understands like this tech is prevalent. And we didn't really get that in this movie of the bad guys understanding how advanced Batman's yeah. tech is. But at the same time, I love how advanced his tech is to a realistic degree, too. 
Mm-hmm. I, that thing probably exists in the real world. There's James Bond guys out there that we don't know about yeah. that we'll never know about. They definitely like, contact lenses that have cameras in them. Hundred percent. Google glasses, man. Who's gonna oh, take true. over the world? Why did we never take another step with Google Glasses? You know, like it's like nobody liked them, but they just stopped. Good. I, VR scares me. Oh, good. All right, right on. I got an Oculus. I've never used it. Oh, <laughs> no. Um, no. I. It, they did kind of set it up like that other shoe was going to drop though, and somebody was going to find out she had that thing in her eye. Right. I feel like I feel like that was kind of set up, and that never. But doesn't matter. I like how natural it was. But her walking through the club and just IDing all these very high rolling, important political figures throughout the club and it was just like oh my god i can't believe this guy and then they go back to robert pattinson he's like shocked he's genuinely shocked how deep it goes like that's the da oh my god and i love that they showed the realization of that being such a big thing for bruce and i thought that was cool i think it's so important in this type of movie to nail the underbelly of gotham because Batman isn't just working with Jim Gordon in this movie. Like he is at the crime scene. He's very publicly trying to figure out what's going on with the Riddler. Like he's not trying to hide that he's doing what he's doing. He runs away from the cops at one point. You know what I mean? Like, but you know, to do that, to, to establish that dynamic between the police and Batman, a lot like with Spider-Man and the, the, the police or just the citizens, I guess of uh, New York, but like to establish that uh, tension between the police and Batman, you have to give them a reason why. And it's, and they show, this is why Batman can't trust the police. Look how high up it goes. One person at a time. I love how they just, that, that whole scene was so well shot and paced for me. And then we, and then we hung on scars guard for a while. And like you said, like all the way out to where he walked her out of the club before he went to his car. Like it was like, okay, I'll see ya. You know, like I felt I felt, I felt kind of down for the guy. I'm sure he has a wife. I'm sure he's cheating. I'm sure he's a scumbag. But like, you know, he 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 was legitimately like, ah oh, man, you know, like, you know, I thought yeah. we were having a good time. So, you know, that that was really well done. When you establish the corruption of Gotham and the mobs and the hierarchy of everything, it just it makes Batman all the more realistic as to why he needs to do what he does. And I love how they did that. Another aspect of the crime in Gotham, I think for me, the biggest reveal of the movie is you know oh my god falcone's working for you guys and he goes no 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 no. we work for falcone (laughs) like like you think it's it like this guy runs the city like it's a really awesome uh reveal there for me what do we think of how they played falcone as a big bat throughout this movie i love the emphasis on this character being so high up because he is like the falcones and the maronis in batman comics you know you're reading long halloween right now like they are big, like they're big figures. Yeah. The only difference is when it comes to live action, they're not very flashy. They're just mob bosses. They don't mm-hmm. have any any fun costumes or fun aliases. They're just mob bosses, Falcone and Maroni. And the emphasis on no, 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 like this guy is a big wig on the comics. He's a big wig in this movie is perfect because it allows the movie to center on him while also saving your mob boss with some costume appeal, that being Penguin for the next movie because he's worked his way up now he's he's not at the top right now we we not that we were rooting for him ever but in a kind of villain sense we're curious to see where he progresses and the idea that we put all focus on a guy like falcone in this movie to allow penguin to grow a little bit was really dope i also love uh the comparisons you know i'm a boston kid Uh, whitey bulger is is uh, such a prevalent figure in 
all of our history. Um, never someone that I encountered past my time, but my mom grew up in Quincy and uh, not that she ever saw him, but they, they hear stories and everything. And yeah. uh, if, if you don't know about Whitey Bulger, uh, watch Black Mass with Johnny Depp, not a perfect movie, but a really good biopic. And uh, The Departed is heavily based on Whitey Bulger and everything going on in Boston. But it's this idea of this underground mob boss being okay, working from the shadows. He doesn't need uh, a public appeal. He doesn't need to be mayor to know that he's in control. And Falcone gave me a lot of vibes of like a Whitey Bulger type figure who kind of just lurks and is sleazy and just plays pool and knows he's powerful and he doesn't have to show it. He doesn't have to show his guns. He doesn't have to show his strength. He just knows that he's well-connected and well-informed. And he's been doing this for so long that his roots within Gotham, like you need a dig to get those out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about the dual villain thing that Batman movies have done throughout the years, you know, forever almost, you know, like, um, and, you know, the Riddler obviously is the main villain of this movie, but Falcone is a great number two to Riddler's one. It might even be a 1A, 1B situation with as far as like importance to the story, right? Because it's not just that Falcone was a surprise character for me. He was not marketed at all. There was not a single poster. There was not a single shot of him in the trailers, nothing. The only reason I know, I knew that uh, Carmine Falcone was in this movie was I looked at the IMD page beforehand and it, yeah. it shocked me. It really did. The, the John Turturro, I think absolutely stole the show every single time he was on screen and just and again back to that scene where uh uh selena's walking through the 44 below um and you know we see carmine through the islands we don't really see his full figure it's a shadowy uh silhouette of him almost and it just man it just really plays that thanos type big bad working up from underneath and then he's selena's father and then it's revealed he runs the town and then it's revealed he probably killed thomas wayne and and all those things all come to a head very rapidly but organically and i think that um it's just it it was a really excellent pacing of this character that really just shocked me throughout the movie and it Again, you know, like you said, and how I said earlier, it establishes the crime mentality of Gotham in such an awesome and foundational way that when Penguin picks up the ball next time, it's going to be such a natural progression. Uh, You know, somebody, you know, the vacuum needs to be filled. Penguin's a perfect sliding guy because not only do we already know the character, we like the character because he is the only funny person in this movie. And I I say this genuinely too. Uh, I hope the MCU's Kingpin takes notes. Because sure. like coming off of Hawkeye in December, and I'll I'll say it an overall letdown integration of Wilson Fisk into the MCU. This is what I want from my mob bosses in comic book movies: like intimidating, not very flashy, and knowing they're in control. Wilson Fisk, on the other hand, what he has that uh, Falcone doesn't is he has that intimidating presence physically. He's a big dude. Yeah. I hope they play that to his advantage, and uh, whenever he shows up next he genuinely feels like how Falcone made me feel in this movie. And, and, you know, a note I have down here is uh, Falcone had Kingpin in Netflix vibes. You know, the first couple seasons of Daredevil, like that's the kind of Kingpin Falcone plays here. I have a quick moving forward question for you in the middle of act two. Okay. The Court of Owls thing. Hmm. I'm not a huge Batman comics reader. I haven't played the games, et cetera. But the Coral Vowels, as far as I know, is supposed to be a shadow government that has their hand in everyone's pocket and essentially runs Gotham with Malintent. 
do we feel like we kind of already got that here? Like, like if we get into the next movie or the third movie and it's like, well, actually there's somebody above Falcone that runs even him. You know I mean? I feel like Falcone has already played the card of, you know, somebody evil is running the city without anybody knowing it. And I thought, and it, at least I thought that's what the court of owls was. Yeah. It's weird because this movie, I felt uh, elements of three different graphic novels, those being uh, the long Halloween hush so and court of owls. And that's, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for this movie, but it does make me wonder is a hush adaptation off the table is a court of owls adaptation off the table. Long Halloween, I don't need to be I don't need to have that done in live action because this was as close to Long Halloween as we're going to get um, without um, uh, what's his name? Harvey Dent. I, I will say, though, I I think that there is a way to do Court of Owls eventually. It's too good of a story not to like in terms of Batman stories I want to see in live action. Uh, it's number two only to Under the Red Hood, which, you know, requires a lot of setup and a lot of patience. Court of Owls, though, I'm trying to think of how they could operate it, like based on how this movie ends, like if a secret society swoops in and rebuilds Gotham, if we have a time jump, I think a time totally. jump would, would help a lot. But yeah, different from um, uh, Falcone's vibe, because they are very much like, this is like the Illuminati, not the Marvel Illuminati, mm-hmm. but like, you know, yeah. guys underground wearing these owl masks, meeting in robes and probably like worshiping something or, or another. And it, it's just, uh, it's too, it's too like juicy to not mm-hmm. do. And they, they, it would take some work after this movie, but yeah. I think they can still do it. Yeah. It's just, I, I had the feeling that maybe they've kind of cornered themselves into the Fast and Furious situation where, you know, once you get past, you know, the fourth or fifth one of those movies, it's literally three straight movies of, well, there's a bad guy above that bad guy. And then there's another bad guy above that bad guy. And it just keeps going over and over until Charlie Theron gets dreadlocks. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. So I, I put that in a little tickler file as far as concern for the court of owls uh, future bets that maybe anybody put out there. Liam, let's talk about the bat gear, the suit, the car, the grappling hook, everything. What were your thoughts on the Batman-ness of Batman here? This is my favorite live action Batman suit. Um, it's not particularly close either. It just felt like very raw, like like Ben Affleck, no, excuse me, Christian Bale's Batman felt like, okay, this was a rich guy who ordered materials and he got himself a superhero suit. This velvet cape, right? Like, but also like the the armor, the way how like all of his armor was like sleek and the same color black. Like this Batman, like there was different shades of black. There was some gray in there. It felt very chunky. Like the tactical mm-hmm. boots too. I loved. I love the cowl. I love the fact that it showed his like full jawline, even though it's like the most obvious jawline in the history of ever. <laughs> um, really you know, bad. But again, suspe- <laughs> suspension of disbelief. That's a thing that comes with movies. Um, and I love how the the chest piece was like, I guess the batarang or just a knife just or a knife, something. Yeah. Either way, it was so dope. And also shout out the eye black. Uh, I love that oh. because of course he wears eye black and I like to see it underneath. I like that his eyes did kind of glow white because all you got was the whites of his eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, one of the biggest, you know, I chalk it up to 2008. But one of the biggest critiques of the Dark Knight is like when he takes his helmet off, there's no more eye black. Where'd it go? You know what I mean? But like they, they showed the raw emotion here with that. Um, I've been very excited to talk about this all day. I absolutely love the decision to essentially make this exactly opposite of Christian Bale's Batman. 
while he's in action. Um, he, he isn't hiding in the shadows and popping out of nowhere. You hear loud footsteps coming for you. He, he isn't sneaking around the cops and gathering his own evidence and stuff. He's right there in the room touching everything. Like no less than three cops look at Jim Gordon and be like, he can't be touching that. Like he's not supposed to be touching that. And the Batmobile, it isn't this stealthy uh, stealth mode weaving between cars. Like you don't know what's coming until it's there. No, it's loud as fuck and it's coming <laughs> for you kind of thing like there's something very cool about how great at being batman he was but also at times showing those gaps in uh skill you know what i mean like he's not always on top you know he gets beat a bunch the world's greatest detective was obviously the focal point of the character but they did just enough dope back gear stuff to bring that batman familiarity back into it so i really appreciate that moving on to the final act um, kind of a hodgepodge here, um, you know, you know, quick hit section here for the characters, the supporting characters, Jim Gordon, Penguin, Alfred, Falcone. What are our thoughts on everybody throughout that list? Uh, Jim Gordon, easily my most unexpected yet favorite portrayal. I expected to like Kravitz. I expected to like Dano. I expected to like uh, Pattinson. I had no idea what Jeffrey Wright was going to bring to the table, especially because he has to fill Gary Oldman's shoes and also just the comic book appeal of J.K. Simmons. He looks like Jim Gordon straight from the comics. But man, I just, I love the dynamic between Jeffrey Wright and Robert Pattinson. They feel like friends, but also in not a traditional friendship way because it feels like he has so much trust for him that he's like, he's also curious. He's like, you know, like, what do you think? Like he, he wants, he's working with Batman in the sense that he knows Batman's ultimately in the driver's seat. You know, Batman answers the riddle immediately at the first crime scene. And it's not like in your face. They're just, they're questioning about it. And he's not even asked about it. He just says it out loud. And then the entire time, like Jim Gordon's like, what do you think? Like, what do you, like, I, I love that dynamic of this. This felt like such a strong bond between them because it wasn't like in your face. I guess this isn't a negative on the Dark Knight trilogy, but like, and Batman begins, like, I never got to thank you and you'll never have to like, you know, (laughs) that, okay it's a good line but like by comparison yeah it's like it's very much like i'm batman i'm here to help you jim gordon while this batman feels a lot more like i'm batman i'm at the crime scene i'm doing good things and i'm not gonna speak often and jim gordon's like and i'm not gonna be all in your face like oh thank you so much batman for for doing everything but he he, it's implied through the way he asks some questions and the way he seeks his advice and the way that they have that com- that great conversation where he has to keep that that body um, tone that that body uh, uh, what's the word body language language body language language uh, the way he has to keep that body language to uh, the other cops to imply that he's like interrogating him but he's like talking in a way of like all right this is what you're gonna do now and he's like you're gonna punch me so you can get the hell out of here I love I that that punch they feel yeah. <laughs> Uh, I did Uh, like, I feel like they know each other on a psychological level. And Mm -hmm. it's like I said, it's not in your face. And like, that's not a, that's not a, uh, a criticism of the dark Knight trilogy, but it's just another way that this movie set itself apart and didn't have to do better or worse. It just had to be different and different, not for different sake, but different for a good reason. It just kind of goes back to the execution of these two universes, the Nolan and the Matt Reeves Batman universe. Um, you know, the, the Jim Gordon Batman relationship was a pivotal part of all three movies. You know what I mean? Like they developed that over time. This one, much like Batman already established, you know, we're already here. We show up to the party drunk kind of thing. 
Um, uh, my my one note I wrote down about uh, Jim Gordon. I'll get to more a little later. Uh, it's the it's the voice of God thing. If God smoked cigarettes and was a cop in a shitty town for twenty years, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. like his voice is always captivating. But like the way he calls him man and, and you know that kind of stuff, I just thought it was a really cool charisma between the two. Um, moving on to Penguin, um, awesome performance by Colin Farrell. The only levity in this movie. Um, it's a hyper serious movie, and that's okay. I'm not saying a movie has to have a ton of levity, but the Penguin provided that, and I thought that was really awesome. Quick shout out to when he was cuffed around the wrist and then around the ankles and he starts walking away and he waddles like a penguin. Mm-hmm. That is cinema. Um, uh, what do we think of Colin Farrell's penguin here? Big fan. Can't wait for his solo series. My only uh, uh, question about it is how does that not include Batman considering like he's very much on Batman's radar. Um, yeah. But still <laughs> like Jesus Christ, uh, such a great number one target. <laughs> Literally like like this is not like we're Victor's ass who can just like lurk in the shadows exactly. like this is like exactly. next in line in terms of priority. Uh-huh. Um, but no, Colin Farrell, transformative. I, I, I did not recognize him whatsoever. And that's insane. I was trying to. I was really trying to. I was like, where is Colin Farrell under this prosthetic suit? But uh yeah it, it insane insane and i also liked he brought a lightheartedness to this movie in a twisted way like he wasn't like cheery but his laid-back nature um he what was his line he had one line that was so new york that got a pop in the theater i don't know if he said forget about it uh it was like come on we are <laughs> like yeah yeah great that, what am i the only one who knows spanish here <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> something along those lines where i was like this yeah. is great like this is this is so authentic and that's a word i keep tossing around with this movie because like i said it's uh it's immersive in that way and colin farrell's a big reason for that joe pesci yeah 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 mm-hmm. yeah 100 oh, percent. Uh, penguin. oh my god he's short too yeah Oh, dude, Joe Pesci should have been a penguin. I mean, Dan DeVito's penguin was comic book perfection, but Joe Pesci would have been a great penguin in that movie. I have to imagine Joe Pesci and Michael Keaton didn't get along, and that's why he didn't get that role. <laughs> Joe Pesci's kind of a dick. Um, we talked about Falcone at length. Like I said, one of my biggest surprises. I want to hear your thoughts on Alfred in this one. Alfred, okay. Uh, someone asked me about this yesterday, too, and they were like, Alfred's like my favorite character. I can't wait to see this portrayal. And I, yeah, right. So someone was a diehard Alfred fan who was like, you know, you screw Batman, screw screw Riddler and Gotham as a whole. I want to know about the Butler. Like we're about Pennyworth, like, baby. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> binging Pennyworth day in day out. Um, I'll say, I don't think this movie missed on a single casting. They were all great, but Alfred is like last on my list in terms of best castings. Like Dano above, Pattinson above, Wright, Kravitz, Farrell, like circus is probably at the end of that list not to say he wasn't good but he yeah there's there's no complaints i have he just didn't stand out as much as other characters um but i do appreciate that this alfred was uh different than previous iterations and i also appreciate that this alfred was put in danger because i can't remember correct me if i'm wrong but was michael kane ever in physical danger in the dark knight trilogy so this it was it was cool to have uh, it was cool for Alfred to be in danger. It was cool for the only person that Bruce Wayne actively cares about to be put in a situation to where now this is personal. And I, I like that. Um, I also like the dynamic of why he like didn't tell Bruce everything, 
why he was keeping stuff uh, and why he was like, he pushed back a little bit when we talk about like, you know, you're not a father to me or like you, you lied to me and everything. Like he didn't embrace being wrong per se. He was like, no, like, here's why I did what I did. And like, you're not going to like talk to me like this. Cause like, you know, you're a Wayne at the end of the day, you got a reputation uphold. And even though you think that reputation is different, I, I liked his, um, his dynamic with Pattinson and I hope to see more of him in the future. Yeah. Um, for me, Alfred was a bit of a letdown spot. Um, I think that, uh, uh, just off the top, the, the chemistry between the two, the loving nature between the two, I feel like it was more implied than shown or told. I feel like you have to know that Bruce Wayne and Alfred are tight to going into this movie, which is fine. You know, we, we get that with Spider-Man a lot, but, um, I just feel like the, the emotional stakes when Alfred was in danger didn't hit for me as hard because we never saw Bruce Wayne really care about Alfred very much before that moment. Um, you said last week that you can't compete with Michael Caine, so you got to be different. That's the Wolverine theory that we have here on the direct podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, Alfred here was essentially uh, Michael Caine's Alfred from Dark Knight Rises, but with half the screen time. So I, I you know, like it was it was very much a better you know, enough I'm, members I'm, of the Wayne family. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I was looking out for you. I was looking out for the Wayne reputation. Um, and, you know, it's it, it's not that those beats were bad here. It's just it, it is what Michael Caine's. Alfred was yes yeah a little bit repetitive and just not not you know like I said I feel like unless you know Alfred and Batman uh Bruce Wayne's relationship going in um you know it's not going to hit for you very hard uh sick Kane though dope Kane great (laughs) cufflinks what an amazing line Uh, are you a Wayne Alfred your father gave this to me like that was good like that 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 was the most we got out of him so I respected that um moving on um, the, the, basically the truth being unmasked throughout the movie, um, Liam, the, the renewal program and just the entire Wayne conspiracy and how we got to where we were. I want to start here because this is by far my favorite thing about this movie is, um, just the, the, the depths of the Wayne conspiracy in the renewal program. I know that's such a small thing to love about this movie, but Gotham was a star in this show, in this movie for me not just because of the aesthetics, which were a huge part of it, but it was, I was obsessed with the Waynes and the renewal program and the conspiracy behind it because right off the top, Mayor Mitchell um, goes after, uh, sorry, I got her name down here, Bella Real, um, goes after his competitor for mayor candidate. And, and he says something along the lines of, she's trying to tear down everything that Thomas Wayne built, you know, appealing to the Gothamites, appealing to the legacy of the Wayne family here in Gotham and Rael right off the top was like, well, you know, what he built really hasn't done anything. Things have only gotten worse ever since the renewal program started and after Thomas Wayne died, you know what I mean? Like, like it sucks that he died, but we need to realize the renewal program hasn't done anything. And I think that's such an awesome political angle on it. And then it goes through the city and on all the buildings, on all the bodegas and all the bus stops and the subways and everything, you see renewal program signage, Thomas Wayne for mayor. And you see all that signage and everywhere. It's it's it. You look at this movie; it's absolutely everywhere. But it looks like it hasn't been touched since it was put up. Nobody's cared about it since those signs were put up. You know what I mean? It was more of just a campaign than anything. And I love the organicness behind that. And then finally, we learn the renewal program essentially funded crime in Gotham for the past twenty years. Like it's the budget of corruption, and everybody wanted a piece of it because they knew it was unregulated. 
and it was a charity donation and nobody could track where it was going or why and all those different things. And I thought that was such an awesome way to do the Spider-Man thing where the villain is corruption and it all ties back to the Waynes. And, you know, um, you know, we say it with Homecoming, you know, the best Spider-Man villains are the ones that have a beef with Peter Parker and Spider-Man. And, you know, that's kind of what I got here. And I thought that that was such an awesome decision to make this uh, Thomas Wayne political campaign not only be the crux of, um, you know, what people are hanging on to, what people have faith in, and what Bruce Wayne is, what is driving Bruce Wayne. My dad started the renewal campaign. I need to carry on his legacy. To find out that legacy was bullshit, awesome. Thomas Wayne's fault or not, that's the that's the ambiguity of this movie, right? Was Thomas Wayne really that involved? That's what Batman 2 is going to be about, right? But just having that be the shoe that drops for Bruce was such an awesome thing, and I loved how they played it throughout the whole movie. Yeah, I, I echo just about everything you said. I love the idea, too, of why Riddler is so bent on exposing this because it's personal to him like it, this is one of those things where great villain plots you know it's not just about uh, the 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 goal of riddler's you know mission is so citywide you know it, it's to bring down gotham from within and also on the outside too but the reason is because it's like personal and like i think of like thanos in infinity war like he wants to decimate half the universe but it's personal because of how he lost his home and so I, I love the idea of a villain not being this like freedom fighter, this like twisted freedom fighter, just because they, the people deserve to know. No, it's this, this mission was sparked out of someplace in his childhood. And I love the, the conversation at the end too, where it's like, all they wanted to talk about was like the orphan Bruce Wayne and the orphan, like, you know, oh, it must be so hard to lose your parents and then live in a penthouse and have all the money in the world and never have to worry about uh, a hard day's work in your life like you know how many how many orphans are crammed into room 30 uh you wake up to rats nibbling on your on your flesh it's like jesus christ like do i feel bad for this edward nashton guy right now like hell yeah, yeah. and uh it all rooting back to you know this was started by your father thomas wayne and also uh funded crime and you're at the center of this and you're the last wayne so you gotta pay like i I love that. I, this was a very ambitious um, uh, uh, narrative because of how many ties it was trying to bring in together. Um, but I thought it was executed to perfection. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I, I'm going to sound repetitive here, but I just love how the Riddler, Falcone, uh, the politicians, the Gothamites, everybody all tied back into Thomas Wayne. And we still don't know how much of a hand Thomas Wayne played into the negative side of things. Like, like I feel like Bruce was under the impression because Thomas Wayne died, the renewal program went to hell and Gotham went with it. But, you know, it, it gets revealed that maybe right before he died, he lit the match, you know, like Thomas uh -huh. Wayne was the first step toward where we are in Gotham and how shitty it is. And I love just how they played that so much. It's yeah. Easily my favorite part of the movie. Um, and the orphan envy thing. Awesome 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 reveal and it was just a great you know focus and shot of that little kid that looks just like paul dano and, and, yeah. <laughs> and it was it was really well done really uh, great execution there i guess the biggest question coming out of this scene he said the word he so my question to you does eddie nashton know that batman is bruce wayne i really hope he doesn't because of just like i, I don't 
you know, I, maybe I trust Michael Keaton's vulture to keep it a secret in the MCU. This dude ain't, ain't he's blabbing exactly. the second he gets the chance. Are you kidding me? Um, so yeah, if he figured it out, then yeah, makes sense because like, like I said, I guess my biggest issue with this movie is that Bruce Wayne really doesn't exist. It's Batman and then Batman without the cowl. And, you know, I see this, this kid, he doesn't even try to be like, oh, he's like a, a subtle like playboy. Like he's like soft-spoken. No, the hair is like down in his face. He's showing up to the nightclub. He's not dressed nice. Like, like this dude, this dude is Batman. Like yeah. if I'm a civilian, like this dude is Batman. He walks like Batman. <laughs> yeah, literally. Like, uh, so like if, if uh, Riddler figured it out, I think it makes sense, but I really hope he didn't in for just the future of the franchise still being believable yeah they had that little tilt of guessing you know because that entire speech bruce Wayne. you know i'm sitting there thinking like oh my god he knows not only he knows he's announcing it to everybody on camera right now like yeah like like there's levels to that shit and then he says he and then and again batman's not very good at the whole secret identity thing in this movie because as soon as he says he that's when batman steps forward and starts asking a few more questions because he knows he's good you know what i mean so um that's going to be an interesting thing that people talk about um i guess we'll just get out of the way that's my biggest negative of this movie as well is that bruce wayne non-existent but you know there's really not much more to say about it because i don't think it's a detriment to the movie at all i would just prefer to have a bruce wayne personally you know what i mean i like the duality of man thing in movies and that just doesn't exist here uh let's go on to a new segment here in the direct podcast movie reviews called whiz bang and uh let's just go through the action liam a ton of action in this movie small increments of it i feel like you know the longest action sequence definitely the car chase um but other than that just you know quick hits uh getting batman from a to b you know uh gotta go through the forest to get to the end um, what what were some of your favorite action moments throughout the movie? It's the entire just third act battle because this I I love when a movie undermines expectations because never in my wildest dreams did I imagine the final battle would take place at Madison Square Garden or you know Gotham Square Garden like awesome like how dope was it to like set superheroes doing battle within an NBA arena like uh, essentially like that that's not that hasn't been done before and i was it was so unique it's why i'm so excited to go to boston in the mcu because i'm like that's my home i want to see it on screen i i can't remember ever seeing a sports arena and an arena arena obviously we got you know the football field and rises but like it was so unique and doing battle on a jumbotron i thought was awesome and it wasn't like in your face too there there wasn't like it wasn't in the middle of a game or what like it was in the middle of like a refugee situation and I just thought it was it was really cool how it was executed. And I just I love how it was unexpected because there were very distinct shots that were used in promotional material, specifically him with uh, all the all the mud on his face looking up at like a helicopter. But yeah. it was so zoned in that you couldn't tell he was standing on the roof of, a, of an arena. And uh, I also like I fell for him. I, I, I felt for like danger. Like I didn't think Batman was going to die, obviously, but like. When a guy has a double barrel, you know, pointed at his chin, his only exposed part of his entire costume, I'm like, Jesus, how's he going to get out of this? And also it's just, it's horrifying to see uh, the main villain of the movie multiplied by like a hundred and it's very comic booky, but it made sense in the context of this film, which is so dope. 
Yeah, and you know they weren't wearing hockey pants, so I think that's a pretty important distinction as and well. Real, real quick too on that note, the fact that they were dressed as the Riddler also made it so much more of a believable fight because when a Jedi stands opposite stormtroopers, all right, you know we know who's gonna win. There's a bunch of nameless uh, stormtroopers. When when uh, Batman stands opposite a bunch of guys wearing clown masks. All right, these are just the goons. You know, he's going to get by him. When he's sitting opposite a bunch of guys who look like the main antagonist, like, sure, we know in our heads it's not the main antagonist, but still, you know, everything's happening so fast. This guy is the one who, yeah. who's been running the show. So it from an audience perspective, it emphasized the stakes, I thought. Yeah, no, it, it added an interesting dynamic there at the end because we knew and Batman knew that Paul Dano was locked away. You know what I mean? Like, you know, this was an army situation. Um, there was a lot of those situations, I feel like, in the trailers or in promotional footage where I thought it was set in one place and it was completely set in a different place. Like when uh, Skarsgård comes in with the car um, and comes out with the phone on his hand, right? I mm -hmm. always thought that that was just in the middle of a street. You know, some event in the middle of the street. No, that's oh. inside a church. <laughs> like, uh, that's because you didn't write the trailer breakdown. <laughs> I didn't write the trailer breakdown. You're absolutely correct. Um, I think I'm doing uh, Love and Thunder, and I'm not ready for that. <laughs> not, that's gonna be. That's gonna be a lot. Just, I'm not prepared for how much color is gonna be. <laughs> um, uh, so I think that uh, my the car chase is being touted as one of the best. It's incredible. It really is awesome. Um, I it it was the intensity of that last moment i think just overshadowed the rest of it because it's and it was shown it was the first thing we ever saw from this movie was i got you yeah and and it's one of the best shots in comic book movie history but we've been saying that for two years you know yeah, what i mean like sure. like like we've been saying like that is one of the best shots ever for a long time it's, i love that they put it in the trailer but i i wish that there was one other element of that car chase that maybe rivaled it a little bit what do we think of after the long Darth Vader walk in the fire with the upside down camera. What do we think of him poking his head down there in the window and saying, Hey, and then we hold on that for a while. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah, it was a little jarring, I guess. Weird, be right? <laughs> because uh, when Winter Soldier did it in Cap Winter Soldier, uh, he didn't like the camera was at least angled to make it look like he was when he pokes his head down he's still like upright. It was like more like he took a knee rather than he like bent over. This is so nitpicky, but still, I, I thought it was intimidating uh, to a degree, but it definitely did take me out of it a little bit. I didn't expect it at all. <laughs> I didn't yeah. expect his head to pop down there. His, you you expect his boots to show up and then we cut to the next scene. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Especially since he had already met face to face with uh, Penguin before. Yeah. You know, like if that was the first time Penguin ever saw Batman, maybe would have been cool. It was interesting. That was an interesting choice. Um, and and I just want to quick shout out all of that iconic Batman imagery of him flying through something, uh, the car through the fire, uh, him down from the roof on Madison Square Garden with the the iconic uh, cape shot. You know what I mean? Like Ben Affleck did it better, but like this was an amazing, you know, perch shot of him coming down with the bent knee and all that stuff. And then when he hits the fire extinguisher. And we see all the smoke. I swear in my theater, once the smoke started like that, that wasn't in trailers at all. Uh, let me just rewind real quick. When the when the fire, when the trucks exploded in the car chase, everyone knew what was about to happen. You know what I mean? That car was about to come flying through. 
But in my theater, when he hits the fire extinguisher and all that fog is up and around and, and the Riddlers just kind of start looking around, people like got it like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, here it comes. And yeah. he comes flying out of the smoke. <laughs> like, we're just excited to see Batman come out of something. And it was really well done. Very cool. Awesome. So that that was most of the Batman. Let's get into the resolution of it. I want to I want to get into the resolution of Gotham, Batman, that scene. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, where this universe goes with all the spinoffs and stuff. Um, so Gotham, November 6th, the city's underwater. Yeah. <laughs> like that's how we end this movie. It's, it's, it's insane. What do we think of the state of Gotham moving forward? Awesome. I love that there's permanent stakes. I, I love that Batman didn't really win. Like, like maybe Gotham's looking up a, a little bit. Like maybe the good guys are now in power, but the good guys are now in power with a lot more obstacles to deal with um i teased it earlier the reason why this movie or or riddler's plan um worked for me is because once we got to him uh, at the crime scene once again and then him ripping off the rug and then looking into the live stream footage and everything and realizing oh there's another step to this plan it like it shifted for me like I, that's why I wasn't upset, like shifted in a good way. Like that's why I wasn't upset at uh, everything being revealed for so long, because I was like, you know, if this is your plan, now you're in jail. Like you gave yourself up was, this was some sort of like crusader mission where like Riddler's like at the end of this, I go to jail, but that's, I'm fine with that. I love the idea that, no, there was another layer to this, something I wasn't expecting. And also um, you know, that's why we don't check our, our phones uh, in the theater, because if I saw the time, uh, whatever time it was, I'd be like, wait, we still got 40 minutes of movie left. That would that's a spoiler in and of itself. So yeah. to genuinely think, OK, it's probably been three hours. We're probably at the end of this movie. Oh, no, we, we just finished act two. We still have yeah. a whole third to go. That was awesome. And uh, just like any good three hour slow burn detective story, uh, your Zodiacs, your prisoners, uh, your sevens, like there's a moment in each of those movies where things change and it makes that two hours of build up previous worth it. And this movie, I didn't realize I needed that out of this movie, but like I said, there's that specific moment where, oh man, no, we, we only just finished phase one and now phase two is starting and phase two is put submerging the city in water. Awesome. Like awesome, 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 huge fan. And uh, like I said, permanent consequences, real stakes, real emotion. That's what makes good cinema. Um, I, I kind of want to combine my Batman and Gotham, you know, resolution moments here a little bit because everything you just said, I, I love how we're going forward in a worse spot than where we started. You know what I mean? I didn't expect that to come out of this movie, but it did. Like, like, like things got worse throughout the movie and it never got better. And I think that's a really cool thing for Gotham, except for one thing. We start the movie off with the bat signal and the shadows and fear. I need to be fear. Batman needs to be fear to keep the criminals away. And I think that is such an amazing thing that they did flipping it on his head there at the end with the, uh, the, the flare. Um, bit where he's walking people out of the water like he went like his mission went from scaring the evil out of gotham to being hope for the good to rise above the evil because he realized the evil is gotham we need to get the people at the bottom which is the good people that are now at the bottom like the oil is the evil the water 
is uh, the good. He is guiding the good to the top of the roof to get carried off by the helicopter and save the future of Gotham. I think that was awesome symbolism. What a great way to end that movie for Batman and for Gotham moving forward. I think that's really great. Um, Real quick on that, because I realized we didn't talk about the mayor's son at all. Um, Another aspect that I love the subtlety in this movie, you can tell like like anyone who who is watching this movie intently can tell Bruce Wayne slash Batman has sympathy for this kid because he remembers being in the, in his shoes, but they never say it. They yeah. never even hint at it with dialogue. Jim Gordon never goes like, oh, you're taking an interest in this kid. Like, why are you always protecting this kid? They never address it. They just have long stares occasionally. And mm, like that subtlety is like, that's where like, that's where the Snyderverse failed. That's where uh, we have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Oh, the days of battling wind-up penguins are, are gone. Like that kind of subtlety of establishing a relationship and they never share a line of dialogue. They just have looks. And you realize you're like, that kid was once, Bruce Wayne was once that kid. And you get it. And like, oh, thank you. Like thank, like, thank you for Matt Reeves for like understanding your audience is smart. Like we will figure this out. You don't need to shove it in our face. And if we don't figure it out in the theater, someone's going to write an article and break it down and be super blatant about it in the best way possible. So like uh, another, like that's, that's probably my favorite aspect of subtlety because it is so incredibly subtle that it's like literally never mentioned or never spotlit. Yeah. There's three people in this movie who understand that relationship, the kid, Bruce and Alfred. And I think that's just such an awesome thing because they do that one shot where Alfred's looking at the film and he sees the kid. He sees Batman look at the kid and Alfred knows that's why Bruce is so invested um, into this. And that's a just, yeah, very awesome. Really well done. I completely agree. Um, uh, Do you have anything uh, as far as like where Bruce and Batman go moving forward? We talked about Gotham. I talked about Bruce. Where do you want Batman to be next time? Well, uh, I think there's actually a very easy way to resolve the biggest issue with this movie. Have Bruce Wayne now embrace the philanthropy. Like Gotham needs someone to step up, needs someone with deep pockets, get him out of water, literally. Have this is where Bruce Wayne shows up and he starts being a little more facey and he starts being a little more like like, like playboy-ish, but also charismatic in a sense of like, like Gotham needs this right now. They need their public figure in order for like the city to be rebuilt again. And he can still be Batman. Like I, I have no no issue with with where Batman goes moving forward. I think he just kind of continues to do what he does. But now's the time where Gotham needs Bruce Wayne. Uh, like the mayor, the new mayor says it herself. She's like, you know, you have a history of philanthropy. Your family does. Like, why aren't you doing anything? And I'm just like, you know, he's doing he's doing everything, but he can't tell you that. Um, yeah. So I, I, the future of Batman is essentially Bruce Wayne becoming Bruce Wayne. Yeah, and and I think that you know with that new mayor, uh, ah, shit, it's a tough name, uh, Bella Royale. Um, I think that you know at the beginning of the movie she was anti-Batman, and then obviously she gets saved by Batman. That'll flip you real quick. So now <laughs> Bruce and Bella have a relationship. Batman and Bella have a relationship. I feel like that's a political figure Bruce can probably trust, much like Jim Gordon's a uh, authority figure that Bruce can trust. And I think that that is an awesome way to spin that off. I didn't think about that at all until you said it. And I love the idea of, you know, Bruce coming out of the shadows is maybe what Gotham needs as well as Batman. And it's probably going to get Alfred pretty excited to see the whole Wayne name get back into the situation. And um, yeah, I think that, I think that that angle will (laughs) already counting our chickens. Um, That angle will have the Batman 2 make the Batman better. 
<laughs> you know what I mean? Like all the complaints, uh-huh. there is no Bruce Wayne. I thought Alfred was underutilized and all those different things. If if we take that approach you just pitched in the second one, it's going to make the first one better and, you know, Age of Ultron. Um, yeah, I love that. Uh, uh, okay, it's time. Yeah. It's time. Uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't this, even know how to we start. talk about when the movie changes this is when the podcast changes like yeah, this is when yeah. we shift into the full gear i uh i don't even know how to start it um paul dano again plays a great crazy person very upset very uh um just encaptured with his situation in arkham asylum and uh he gets a little pep talk from a friend across the way um i cannot wait to really dial in on this speech when i go see it again tonight but he says the word clown he uh, mentions a riddle to the Riddler. You know, uh, when you don't have any, having one is all the more valuable, a friend. And then we hear Paul Dano's laugh. And then we hear the laugh of Barry Cogan's Joker. Mm-hmm. Liam, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did. Uh, I am so happy with this scene, man. Um, this, is, this is on par with, uh, Red Skull showing up in Infinity War and um, Vulture answering the door in Homecoming for me because like I've been ingrained in these universes and these movies in terms of reading and watching speculation videos for like a decade now um, and I've been contributing to that space for like what two plus years now so it's so hard to shock me genuinely and you wonder like how well how can you be shocked since you've written like 5,000 word pieces on why Barry Cogan is definitely the Joker in this movie. Um, It shocks me because I wasn't expecting the execution as it was. It was like slow. It was methodical. Um, People in the theater weren't really even picking up on it. Like I heard some murmurs, but like not everyone was like until he said the word clown. That's when people like started to sit up a little bit. Um, It's cool to have like validation. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, like I, I didn't want to predict that, oh, I think Venom 2 is going to be garbage. Yes, I was right. Like, no one wants that. Like, I, I was like, I was happy that he was playing the role, but I was also like, all right, objectively, is this where I want the Joker to go in the future? And a lot of people, uh, a lot of complaints we're seeing, even within like our circles is like, do we need another Joker per se? And my answer to that is this universe deserves to have like a Joker. Like this is arguably... You know, we'll wait to see how it gets fleshed out. But this is one of my favorite portrayals of Gotham that we've gotten. And what is Gotham? What is Batman without like the clown prince of crime? And on top of that, too, um, I I love the idea of him being semi-established. You know, he's in prison right now. He's done some bad stuff. Maybe he had battles with Batman during that first year. And he is so inexperienced that he's already been locked up. He isn't the clown prince of crime just yet, just like Penguin wasn't penguin just yet he was still Oz you know uh also too we shouldn't have an origin for Joker like not even just coming off of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker the the character of Joker is so awesome because we don't know where he came from we don't know uh everything going on and on top of that we just got this movie where the villain his origins are so crucial to the plot I love the idea of Joker once again being an anarchist, an agent of chaos, one who just wants to like fuck with Gotham because it's just in his DNA to be like that. And I like that the seed was planted because I also, it wasn't a post-credit scene. Um, uh, it was at the end felt of the like movie. One. What's up? Felt like one. Felt It did feel like one. It felt like, you know, uh, uh, 
I'll think of a comparison later on, but there's a certain ending moments where you're like, okay, this feels like a post-credit scene. Um, it, it's cool because like it sets him up, but it doesn't reveal him. He's a presence. I don't even think he's going to be a villain in the sequel. I, I think that we will probably see his face for the first time in the sequel, but yeah, it, it's just like, there's a vision here uh, clearly mm-hmm. going forward and casting Barry Cogan, an actor who is, still absolutely on the rise and you know getting him while he's still like fairly affordable even though this this uh this universe is sparing no expense when it comes to their talent um is awesome and like i said i love that there's there's a there's a vision here and it feels like it's gonna get built upon um and i just i i love that scene yeah it's uh it's it was a moment for sure um i you know, because we had just talked about it, like as soon as we got to that moment with Paul Dano, I kind of thought it was going to happen, right? But I was looking for the little cues that um, establish who this Joker is, right? So um, just his voice in general, Barry Cogan, awesome voice. Love just hearing him talk. So that's a part of it, right? Um, the makeup, we couldn't see a lot of it, but we definitely saw the silhouette of the hyper-exaggerated pointy jaw and the mouth that he's not, it's not just that he's smiling big. His mouth is like genetically or surgically bigger than it should be. And the hair is crazy and all these different things. So I think the aesthetic of Joker, I liked the voice I liked. I'm going to be listening out for the laugh again tonight. I, I don't know how I feel about it yet. I want to hear it one more time before I make a distinction because that's probably the biggest thing, right? You got to get the laugh down. <laughs> Hard to listen to uh, when you watch Suicide Squad. But then Joker, you know, the <laughs> like like uh, with Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know why I just tried to impersonate it right there. I can't do it. But you know what I mean? Like it's such a distinctive thing about every single Joker that we get. And I think it's important to, you know, we're all just chasing Hamill at this point, right? But how do you make it unique? How do you, how do you make your laugh stand out from the rest. I I tend to fall into the camp of do we need another Joker right now? I don't know if I think we do or not. I think it's a discussion that I think should be had though and probably a discourse we'll have over the next couple of weeks, right? It's you know, it's a big universe thing because it's not even so much that we just got a Joker. It's that we just got a Joker and he's getting a second movie. So how is the general audience I'm really excited for Aaron tonight. I'm whispering because she's in the other room. I'm excited for, I want to know if Aaron's going to think if this is walking Phoenix or not. You know what I mean? She doesn't know it's Barry Cogan. We knew it was Barry Cogan, but like, I wonder if she thinks if this is walking Phoenix or not. On that note too, just real quick about does this universe need a Joker or not? The reason why I it's not even that like he's the key antagonist because like Green Goblin is the key antagonist sure. arguably uh, for Spider-Man. Um, I even beyond that i'm trying to think of characters who have that like iconic antagonist but also have like a massive rogues gallery um reverse flash i guess with with flash i guess um, yeah. uh, it's batman inspired oh oh uh, lex luther sure lex luther and superman uh the mandarin and iron man at least in the comics all of those characters except maybe lex luther and superman i don't think are integral to a live action universe per se like it's not just that Joker is the most anta- most iconic Batman antagonist. Like, like you know, you and I need each other. Like, you know, we're destined to do this forever. Like, they they feel like a pairing that just anytime mm-hmm. you're going to do a Batman franchise, you know, Keaton's Batman, Bale's Batman, even when they were trying to do something with Ben Affleck's Batman, like, the Joker needs to be there. Like, it feels mm-hmm. like, like we had this conversation in Slack. This movie did not need the Joker. 
this universe does in my opinion. And, you know, it's, it's a seed that was planted that I'm happy was planted and we'll see, maybe it sprouts and it's a weed and we, we, we rip it out of the ground. We throw it away, but it could also blossom into a very nice flower. And I'm willing to bet it'll be that. I bet that flower shoots seltzer out at you. Yeah, I was also um, thinking that. Yeah, nailed it. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, no, and and you know we even talked about it. Uh, me, you, and friend of the show, David Thompson, who will be showing up next week, right? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Box so office. cool. Um, uh, you know, it's it's not until I took a step back into just the overall DC universe that I started having those questions about the Joker. So, like in this movie, perfectly executed. I'm excited. I how I hope they play it, um, over the next movie or two, like Palpatine. We know that there's a big bad out there, the Emperor. We know that the Emperor is in charge of Darth Vader. And, you know, uh, you mentioned it a couple weeks ago on the podcast. We don't see the Emperor's face until the middle of the second movie. And it's still just a hologram at that point. You know what I mean? So when he comes into Return of the Jedi and he has that amazing throne room gate, um, it's, it's so, you know, established behind the scenes that when it comes up with you know it's it's a reveal it's thanos you know you know uh or i am you know or uh what is it destiny arrives all the same or should yeah. i say i do and it's just you know i hope it i hope give joker the thanos treatment give joker the palpatine treatment because those are the big three right it's thanos palpatine and joker give them all that same respect to not push it too far too quick the third movie should be the Joker movie. Like, like the yeah. end of a trilogy should be the biggest villain you have. And I think that I, I hope that's how they play it. I can't wait to listen to the last. I guess. It's, it's also too like to emphasize it even further. Like it's still subtle. Like, like you Absolutely. don't see his face. He has one scene. He's in shadows and in the credits, he's credited as like unseen Arkham prisoner. Like there's, yeah. there's nothing about this. Like if this was, this was the Snyderverse, like, like he would have like emerged from the shadows and would have been like, you know, uh, <laughs> shows up with ah. <laughs> like, he, he would break out of prison with the Riddler and they would yeah. like chest bump and they would go like, all right, let's go, let's go kill him. Slow the Joker card through the little slot. Yeah. Oh my. Oh, he. That is exactly what it would have been. That is exactly what it would have Nothing been. Nothing against Batman Begins. It's an amazing scene. I'll look into it. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like i said it's it's it didn't feel like in your face to where it like took me out of the movie so like i there there will be complaints but i'm ready to captain this train like i'm this is a hill i will die on until 2000 what 26 where they said less than five years less than five years i really hope it's less than (laughs) three because i'm impatient segway kings Next, less than five years, where we're going to get Batman 2. But in between Batman and Batman 2, we're getting a handful of spinoffs. Liam mentioned earlier, we're getting a Penguin spinoff that I assume is going to explore the crime of Gotham a little more. We're getting a GCPD spinoff, where I hope Jeffrey Wright stars in it. And we get to explore the uh, justice of Gotham a little more. Maybe a little duality there. And then, announced today, there's going to be a Batman spinoff that focuses on Arkham Asylum. Liam, of these three spinoffs, the crime, the police, the Arkham Asylum part where Riddler and Joker currently are, which of those spinoffs are you most excited for to build this world underneath Batman? Uh, it's far and away Arkham. If if they emphasize what they can do, if, if it reaches its potential, this will be just must-watch television because you just think about who is locked up there. And you think about the Marvel aspect on Disney Plus of it genuinely feels 
like anyone can show up. Like Don Cheadle, War Machine shows up. Lady Sif shows up. Sure, they're like B-level players, but we know we're getting Ruffalo um, in She-Hulk. Like we know that there's no expense spared. With HBO Max, I feel like it'll be genuinely just the same. And this is the perfect opportunity to go, hey, we want this big A-lister to play Mr. Freeze. We can get him for a couple scenes for one episode of of this Arkham series. And then he gets the movie. So yep. the 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 potential for Arkham being almost like an anthology series of having each episode focus on like a different character locked up and having us all speculate on who's there, how they got there. I think it could be money. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think that the Penguin and GCPD um, series or movies or whatever they end up being, that's going to show the backlash of what happens here. Um, you know, uh, the city's underwater. What does that do? You know, where where is that? Uh, they have a great line in the Batman where, you know, there's going to be rampant looting and chaos in the parts of town where uh, police can't get to. So, like, there's areas of Gotham that are harder to get to than others. In those areas, crime is going to run rampant. I think exploring that, developing Gotham through those two series before the next Batman movie will allow us to, you know, I say it all the time, hit the ground running in a really great way. Um, so I'm excited for all three of these. I just can't wait till we get a little bit more information on them. And uh, guys, that's the Batman. Real quick, Liam, let's go through a pros and cons situation. We're going to start with the cons because that's good podcasting. Um, uh, ping pong style, what is a con you have of this movie just overall that maybe we haven't talked about yet? If we've talked about all of them, you don't have to have them. I, I feel like we have discussed most of them. Yeah. Um, the first one I'll just say off is, you know, Bruce Wayne, you know, let's, let's get, let's get nailed. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, yeah. Mine is going to be, I had an interesting time with the supporting cast here because I genuinely, I genuinely loved every character. I like, I like the people that they were. I don't necessarily love what they all did. You know what I mean? Like I wanted Jim Gordon to do more detective stuff. I wanted Catwoman to do more sleuthing. I wanted, uh um you know that's and we already talked about the riddlers i wanted to, them to be maybe a little more interesting so it's really interesting like i love every single characterization of these characters uh jim gordon specifically i guess is the one i want to highlight i wish he did more detective stuff i feel like he did a lot of repeating what batman just said for the audience which is fine which is cool everybody's going to talk about their chemistry being so great because it was i just wish that jim gordon had a little more um involvement in the you know what was actually happening left and right my my second con again i repeated it but i'm going to put a little bit of a a new lens on it is the explanations of everything like like in in broadcast we call them explainers or a package and the news package of the wayne family with just a bunch of bunch of vo cut up ken burns and a bunch of newspaper clips and everything Perfect. king paul right? dano. yeah yeah no. <laughs> paul dano knows how to use adobe creative cloud that's for sure um but i will say looking at it a little bit differently because for two and a half hours we were kind of trained as audience members to just have stuff be given to us when that twist came of the rug being ripped it felt a little it, it felt more you know so it's a con overall but i will say i think it was done with good intentions absolutely yeah and and i think just to kind of piggyback off that 
the production, the acting, the characterization, all these things are peak level Batman movie stuff. The story, I think, just, you know, wasn't as good as everything else. And that's okay. It's the first of a trilogy. There's seeds being planted. We're not going to get all the answers right here, right now. I just think, you know, it. it's okay to say this isn't a perfect movie, guys. Like, like you know, like it's, it's going to get compared to The Dark Knight, which IMDb says is like the fourth best movie of all time. You know what I mean? Like, not just comic book movie, movie. So I, it's okay to say this movie isn't perfect. I want everybody to know that. It can be great and not perfect. The, the <laughs> Spider-Man Twitter. If you either love something or you hate it, that's not how the world works. You can, you can have gray in your opinions on movies. And I think this movie is a good example of it because 90% of it I absolutely love. That 10% though does drag it down a little bit, which is okay. Uh, this is a minor thing. Uh, my last little con here. I talked about it in our Dark Knight review. The car bombs uh, and the water gates and the flooding of Gotham. Just a little touch of Christopher Nolan here in the movie where we introduce something out of absolutely nowhere that completely changes the third act. You know what I mean? Like this turned into a natural disaster out of nowhere. And that was a little jarring for me, but honestly, like the, Christopher Nolan does that so much. It's Batman at this point where there's going to be an X factor introduced uh, in, in the last hour that, you know, you just never saw coming. There's something to look out for uh, in your second watch and my second watch eventually, whether or not they establish that Gotham is surrounded by water, not just in an aerial shot, whether they mention it, because I don't think vans exploding is something that needs to be established. Like it's, it's a car bomb, but we do need to establish that they are strategically by walls that are, you know, keeping water out. Yeah. Like yeah, the car bomb thing is one thing. The fact that it can flood the entire city out of nowhere. I wonder if that was brought up too. That's a great thing to add to the list, writing it down now. Scribble, scribble, scribble. Moving on to what we loved. Ping pong segments. Liam, what are some smaller scale things that you loved about this movie that we haven't touched on yet? I'm going to stall. So I'm going to say my, my, the one I've been waxing about this entire podcast, the subtlety. Um, you know, mm-hmm. trust your audience's intelligence and it will be a better film for it. And Matt Reeves absolutely did with the, the mayor's son, with uh, the Joker reveal at the end, with just so many different minute elements of this movie. Uh, you know, I like I like feeling that, you know, the directors think we're smart people and, you know, it's it makes for a better film because of it. What do we say about Eternals? A thinking man's Marvel movie? Yes. <laughs> you know, you really got to dive into it a little bit. Uh-huh. And and I love Eternals for doing that. It felt a little flat overall, but like, you know, those are the kinds of things that make a movie more unique uh, than, uh, you know, what people call cookie cutter Marvel stuff, you know? Like there's definitely a pattern of Marvel movies of how they work with characters and jokes and action and all these different things. So when it's different, it's a little jarring. But when they do it here in the Batman and it's executed well, we all get really excited about it. So it's very awesome to hear you say, uh, talk about the subtlety as much as you have, because I thought I was the only one that noticed it, really. Um, so uh, good on you. Good on me. Good on us, that's, man. That's that's the point of subtlety, after all. Nailed it. Um, yeah. I cannot talk enough about how much I love the Wayne conspiracy stuff. I talked about the Wayne side of things and the political chess being played with Gotham's original White Knight. But, dude, when they revealed that Martha's maiden name was Arkham and her family had a severe history of mental health and the Arkhams are the second founding family of Gotham, instantly hooked. Say less. I'm in. That's awesome. That's so cool that the Arkhams 
uh, that that housed this incredibly controversial and huge iconic place in Batman lore that we're obviously going to get a lot more of. The fact that that's a Martha Wayne thing, get out of here, man. I don't know if I'm just comment ignorant. Like, I don't know if that was established anywhere else in comics, but dude, that was the coolest thing I could have heard is that Martha Arkham was her name before she married into the Waynes. When they put the pictures side by side, the founding families of Gotham, the Waynes and the Arkhams, get out of here. That's the world building I can get behind every single day. Yeah, it's the Romeo and Juliet aspect too, where like they were the perfect yes. pairing, right? And then of course the corruption seeps in and because they were just such a perfect fit to prosper Gotham, they had to be taken out. Yeah, that's awesome. It's so sick. It's so sick. Do you, uh, do you have any more little tidbits we want to highlight or do we cover it all? It was a long I, one. Yeah, I, I feel like we've covered a, a lot of them. I'm sure that there's subtle aspects that I will appreciate more upon a second watch. Here's one. Um, the realism of like Batman doesn't get out of everything when he does that whole like wingsuit fly down and he executes the parachute and he gets recoiled by the bridge. Awesome. That's how it would go. You know, like this, he looked scared too. Like that's awesome too. He's, he's a young Batman. He probably hasn't tried this trick many times and I appreciated that. And then uh, I, I know you're, you'll probably bring it up, but the kiss between Catwoman and Batman. Yes, yeah, it was hot. I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, great kiss. I thought it was good. You know, they, they had such great chemistry together. You know, the stoicness versus the flirtiness. Like, you know, it's a really good Beauty and the Beast situation that they had there. Mm-hmm. Um, my last little one, um, I am Vengeance. I'm gonna miss the nickname. I really am. Mm-hmm. I loved that Catwoman and Penguin both called him Vengeance, like as a name. Yeah, like like Vengeance. You think you're gonna take my money? You know what I mean? I'm like, come on, Vengeance. It's getting a little bit of trouble. Like, I love that kind of stuff, and it was. I, 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 when Penguin did it, I knew Catwoman was going to do it because the trailer, but when Penguin did it, I was like, oh, he's going to call him Vengeance too. But the way he kept doing it and he did it in a negative way, like making fun of him, a mocking way. Catwoman yeah. did it in a flirting way to like kind of appeal to him a little bit. I thought that was just so sick and I want more of it and I can't wait. So, ladies and gentlemen, that is the Batman. Liam, I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to put you on the spot. The Batman is the blank best batman movie oh second best uh I, i've had this conversation uh, a couple times because like you said film twitter also uh, a reflection of just society in general because i saw it early everyone was like is it better than the dark knight i'm like what <laughs> oh oh that uh that steak that you made that you got from walmart oh my god is it better than the steakhouse that cost 55 dollars to get a steak no no shit um, it's going to be very hard to replicate that. And The Dark Knight, I feel like, is one of those movies that I don't know will ever be topped because it has such deep-rooted nostalgia that it just somehow gets better every year and yeah. it's still relevant. And yeah, I don't know if it can ever be topped. I think there could be better films made, but we won't know until like 10 years down the line because yeah. we'll have to let it sit for a while. This movie's easily, though, my second favorite Batman movie. Um, and if it's a distant to not a distant to a, a moderately gapped to to Dark Knights one, I think it's got it's got my not miles. Uh, what, what's this this little metaphor I'm going with? How how the distance between uh, Dark Knight Rises is probably my number three, and I'd say it's a pretty distantly above Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Um, uh, uh, it's a uh it's any athlete ever but like when you talk about how good Steph Curry is there's always that one guy who's like oh well he's not better than Michael Jordan 
you know like <laughs> well yeah dude like <laughs> like what are we doing here like it's, it's either your be- it's either you're the best of all time or you suck like like that's not how it works um i'm gonna put it at three uh pending a rewatch i think i'm i think i'm perfectly capable of moving it to two after i watch it again i feel like the riddles might hit a little better now that i know you yeah know I mean? like i'm gonna be looking for that kind of stuff um uh i'm definitely putting it at two behind batman begins uh that movie is unexpectedly better every single time i watch it um and uh and and it's because they're both origin movies you know what i mean and like Uh they both introduce gotham in certain ways um so yeah i'm i uh very very close two three for me with batman begins and the batman um but i'm excited to rewatch it tonight hopefully i push it above batman begins just because you know the movie came out when i was in fifth grade um, I'd like a little more adult movie to be my number two, but I'm not going to go in with any bias. Um, distant from Dark Knight at number one, but two and three with Batman Begins and the Batman for me are very, 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 very close. And I'm excited about that because those are pretty good. Um, one more thing before we get out of here. I know this is running long. Let's talk about the run that DC has been on lately. The Suicide Squad, we loved. Peacemaker, we loved. The Batman, Masterpiece, like you said that's that's a that's three in a row dc's been on a run here how do we feel moving into what's next uh black adam black adam how do we feel moving into black adam seeing how much of a run dc's been on well i think black adam's gonna crush uh i don't think it's gonna be like anything revolutionary but i think it's gonna be similar to how most people feel about aquaman like i love aquaman because i think it's just fun uh i think black adam will be in the same vein and uh Hopefully we hold on to that uh, until November because I'm not very confident in the flash. November is going to be the one we're all looking at, right? Yeah. It's, it's interesting. It's uh, is it more fun than good is a question with DC movies a lot, right? You know, it's fun, but it's maybe not as good as it is fun. I feel like we've hit that threshold three in a row with me, at least with the suicide squad, peacemaker and Batman are all wins for me in the DC universe. And that's something I, I can't remember a DC run like this in a long time. Well, also, too, those three projects, the three aforementioned Suicide Squad, Peacemaker, Batman, the goal was just to make a good movie or a good show. That's it. The reason why I get worried about Flash is because they are going to try to remake a good universe. Like, it's setting out to do a lot more. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. And I, I, I like Peacemaker. I don't love it. Okay, but I mean, you know, compared film, to film Roman Twitter, like, <laughs> no, yeah, but film Twitter saying it's far and away the best comic book show of all time. No. Relax, absolutely, no. relax. That sounds like a ranking we got to do here soon, right? Oh, yeah, we got to put Peacemaker and Daredevil in our MCU Disney Plus rankings. That's what we have to do. And I'll throw in an arrow season one, arrow season two. Sure. sure yeah we got to do that here soon ladies and gentlemen that has been the batman please reach out to us let us know what your favorite parts of the movie was um and we can't wait to talk more about this over the next couple weeks cleanup's gonna be fun we'll probably have a draft about it and then we're gonna be off batman for a little while which is really interesting thing because guess you know we had our boba fett run which was great and you know batman run has been awesome but liam guess what's up next oh that boy mark specter the red brand gets back in the game with Moon Knight. We can't wait to see you there. We'll see you next week here on the Direct Podcast.